0: This is The Intersection. This is The Intersection podcast for Saturday the 11th of March 2017. Episode 9, It's Switchmas. The Intersection Podcast is only made possible through the support of its listeners and sponsors. If you have a product or service that you feel may appeal to our audience, please contact sponsor at intersectioncast.com. Hello and welcome to The Intersection Podcast, the podcast that bridges together the worlds of tech and pop culture. I'm Jonathan Wildman, I'm your host, and there's a lot to get through in terms of news from this past week, so without further ado, let's get it started. In a move that only too well demonstrates political correctness gone mad, the Internet Movie Database, IMDB, um, has adopted a new rating system uh, to signpost several films that are either directed by women, written by women, Or to have a significant um, number of women on screen or key to um, uh, the plot of the uh, movie in question. Now, this F rating, this feminist rating, um, was actually invented by um, a director of the Bar Film Festival, um, Holly Tarquini. I believe this was, and um, this was, this was made up at some point in 2014 and apparently, and I've not seen this at all, has been picked up by more than 40 cinemas and festivals across the UK. So now the IMDb are rating, um, movies for, uh, uh feminist values or sensibilities or whatever, however you want to describe it. Um, which I just think is borderline ridiculous. Um, I I think um, it's political correctness gone mad. Where does it end? Um, Are we going to see an A rating to uh, determine how many African-Americans uh are in a movie or behind the camera and i'm speaking as a black man in the uk i mean where where does where does this end um i'm all for quality. i'm all for strong female roles women are very strong strong female characters in decently written uh movies i'm all for that but this sort of rating is just beyond ridiculous um so apparently um 21,800 films have already been tagged with this f rating so far on IMDb um i would imagine the likes of um star wars um episode 7 the force awakens and even the uh, the spin-off uh, rogue one um will will be tagged with an f rating due to their female protagonists and um i mean the idea behind this is 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 to apparently Highlight highlight the lack of women um, working within the movie industry and the lack of uh, strong female characters within screenplays. Um, but I I fail to see how this somewhat gimmicky system actually helps. Um, I I can't see this thing helping at all. Um, I it, it it is clear example as I said the political correctness gone mad. I don't think um, shaming the movie industry or if you want to call it a male dominated industry um, is going to help bring opportunities for um, actresses um, and uh, directors who happen to be women um, and producers who happen to be women for that matter. Um, There, there has to be a better way. So I'm all for quality um, but I truly believe that uh, women deserve a lot better, uh, especially in terms of opportunity and equality, but a lot certainly a lot better than such a gimmicky endeavour. Well, Disney, as you know, who uh, purchased Lucasfilm, uh, not only got their hands on the Star Wars franchise, but also got their hands on the Indiana Jones franchise. And Disney this week finally confirmed that Indiana Jones 5 is definitely happening. Uh, Indiana Jones 5 will be a direct sequel to the last movie, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And it is set for release in July 2019. So it's July the 19th, 2019. Now this will be a sequel. This will not be a reboot. So Harrison Ford will be returning um, as Indiana Jones. And interestingly enough, Harrison Ford will be 77, I believe by the time that this movie is released. So, it's always good to see Harrison Ford in this iconic role. Um, it's good to have confirmation that Steven Spielberg will yet again be directing. Uh, what upsets me slightly is that, um, apparently there will be no involvement, uh, from George Lucas at all. Now, um, Indiana Jones is the brainchild of George Lucas. Um, and to some extent Steven Spielberg as well the two came up with the uh, concept while brainstorming when they were vacation together many years ago um and um but it, it 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 something will feel missing as as with the Star Wars new Star Wars movies something will definitely feel missing without George Lucas's involvement and it is a shame um that he won't be involved there were rumors that he was going to come on board as an executive producer but that doesn't seem to have come to pass um, and I take you back to um, last June, um, where Steven Spielberg quite candidly said that, of course, I will never make an Indiana Jones film without George Lucas. So whether um, things change, I, I mean, they I haven't started shooting yet, um, and we haven't uh, yet had, had any indication as to what the plot may be about, the premise may be about, but whether th- as to whether things change, anything can change in the movie business, I, I'm crossing my fingers that somehow George Lucas is involved one way or the other. He's certainly not involved um, with the story, story concept that they'll be using. Um, But um, I wonder if he'll be on board as uh, some sort of uh, creative consultant. I don't know. Uh, But I am actually, it's good news, it's great news, but I'm hoping that uh, Spielberg does keep to his promise that um, he he would be unable to um, be involved in the Indiana Jones sequel without um, George Lucas also coming on board one way or the other. Now some good news for internet users uh within the UK which is practically everyone. Um the telecommunications regulator Ofcom has uh basically demanded uh that uh BT and Openreach uh, legally separate. Now Openreach as most of you should probably know through dealings one way or the other um run the UK's broadband infrastructure which is atrocious it's it's completely atrocious we do not get fast enough speeds it's embarrassing when you look at the sorts of speeds you get in other countries in particular the usa and the reason why it's been so atrocious is because there has not been any competition or any incentive for OpenReach to, or rather BT, to up their standards because they used to control everything. So the fibre connections, the ducts, the pipes, um, behind the infrastructure and and, and all that sort of thing, they controlled everything, there was no competition, and they sold access to their own rivals, to BT's rivals, you know, Sky, TalkTalk and the like. Um, So Ofcom have, have threatened and forced them to legally separate. That's going to happen Um, now it looks like those reforms are going to begin, uh, at some point in this year. Now, what that means is that it should mean an end to, uh, fixed high charges. It should mean an end to poor service and, uh, a failure to invest, uh, which is which has been the, the fault of BT for a long time. And then, if those of you who've um, got, let's say, fiber broadband or broadband from any provider, um, have always had to wait a long time to get an engineer's appointment, uh, just to flick a switch or what have you, um, it's been because of open reach. So, this is great news. So, competition is always good for us, the consumer. And I am hoping, I mean, it's gonna, it might take a while, but I'm hoping we're going to get some better investment in the infrastructure. We're going to get faster more reliable connections and we're going to get some decent prices after all when it comes to broadband and um, the one my my pet peeve with broadband and i and um i i'm not sure if this will um change the matter or not because we're still using the phone lines for certainly for fiber broadband but my biggest concern is that i am forced to pay a landline uh, line rental connection i'm forced to pay that Um, in order to have my uh, internet access, my my fiber access, my ADSL fiber access. Now, the problem um, with that is that I don't use my landline. I just, I rely on the internet and for my, my phone calls, I use my mobile phone. So I'm shelling out, I think it's 15 quid a month or so for absolutely nothing. I don't even have a um, a landline phone in, in my place. So that's the next thing I'm going to be looking out for. So not just faster speeds, more reliable speeds and more reliable connections. I'm going to actually be looking for an end to being forced to pay for a landline that I and millions of others simply don't use. Last week, Apple held its annual shareholders conference at its headquarters in Cupertino, where questions were fielded to CEO Tim Cook. During the question and answer segment, uh, questions were asked regarding Apple's AirPods. Some questions were asked concerning the health and safety risks, or the potential health and safety risks of wearing the wireless earbud devices, um, in which case Tim Cook just answered rather bluntly that if they weren't safe, they wouldn't be on Apple's website. Tim Cook also made comments about the AirPods, describing them as quite the cultural phenomenon. Whether they are a legitimate cultural phenomenon or not remains to be seen, but there is something quite charming about the AirPods, something quite compelling about their their small size and, and their convenience and all of the technology that's packed within them. And basically, while they are I mean, they are incredibly popular. You still can't get a pair of AirPods fairly easily. You can't wander into your local Apple store and see them on the shelf. You have to order online, or you have to be smart and place a reservation, to this day, six months after launch. But for something that's so popular, I haven't seen many AirPods in the wild. I use mine every day, but I've only probably seen in the past six months two people. Two people, and I commute via a tube train every day, London Underground. I've seen two people uh, using AirPods in the wild, and I'm not at all suggesting that they're not being purchased. Of course they are, but they're not quite a cultural phenomenon just yet. I would say when they uh, Apple ramp up production and these things become more readily available because your average uh, customer isn't going to be checking the Apple website for stock availability On a daily basis, and will obviously lay down a reservation if something becomes available. No, your average consumer is going to walk into an Apple store quite casually on a Saturday afternoon and uh, look at the products that are on the shelves. So, until these things become more readily available, I think there's a a little way to go before we can really truly call them a cultural phenomenon. Now, a little on the subject of fake news. Fake news is currently the hot topic, um, the latest buzz phrase, and The dissemination of fake news seems to be the concern of the day. Now, accusations have been thrown towards the Google Home product, which is Google's um, Home Assistant product uh, akin to Amazon's uh, Echo. Um, Accusations have been thrown towards that product, claiming that it has helped to spread fake news. Now, it's a little unfair But the reason why uh, this is being claimed is because when you ask Google Home a question, Google Home, um, you know, who is such and such, when is such and such, you know, describe so and so, for example, Google uses um, an algorithm, an algorithm that basically grabs the details from its featured snippets results. Now, If you've ever searched for a question in Google, rather than searching for, you know, just individual words or phrases, if you actually type in a question in Google, you will see a featured snippet at the top of the screen. That featured snippet um, is basically a description or or an attempt to answer the question that you have answered and the source is cited. Now, Google used an algorithm to determine what website to extract this information from, or perhaps it does indeed verify uh, repeated reports of that information across several websites. But it can get it wrong. And so Google, in this instance, or the Google Home product in this instance, has actually quoted um, featured snippets from fake news sites so people have been receiving um less than um credible information um and an example was that um i think there was one claim when um google home someone used google home and was asking it questions about former u.s president barack obama and the response that was given um was that um Barack Obama intended to overthrow the United States government at the conclusion of his 2016 presidential term, which is just conspiracy theory nonsense. It never actually happened. It is fake news. But sadly, the featured snippets results included a fake news item. So... You know, um, it's unfair that Google gets to blame for this because it's not actually Google's content that it is citing. But obviously some work um, needs to be done within Google to um, perfect this um, algorithm that is used to uh, pull and report back information as questions are asked. Um, Amazon use a very similar feature, uh, but it doesn't seem to be any too many complaints about Amazon's attempt to retrieve information um Now, Google Home is out in the United States already. It's incredibly popular. It's the more attractive of home assistance between that and the Amazon Echo, and it's also slightly cheaper too. And uh, Google have announced that uh, it's due to be released in the UK in June. So hopefully, things will be sorted out before then. Because I can imagine there'd be a situation where, and it's probably not best, but I can imagine children being rather lazy. Uh, When it comes to homework, uh, wanting to do a little bit of research, they simply yell a question at, okay, Google, let me know, tell me about, and they literally write everything down verbatim. So Google has a responsibility, a social responsibility, I would say, to um, get its act together and get its algorithm together. Now, the days of uh, spoilers for TV shows and popular movies may be a thing of the past because Netflix are hoping to introduce the concept of interactive programming on its platform. And what will essentially happen is is that um, you will be able to dictate where the plot goes in, um, let's say, a TV show. And what will happen is... um, you will watch the show, let's say it's a soap proper, let's say it's an episode or what have you, and you will make the decision as to what happens next, what what, what decision a character is going to make, who a character should interact with, um, what decision a character should make concerning an issue, and you select your choice, and then the show will continue. So basically, actors will have to fill multiple scenarios to account for every possible decision. And this could be dozens and dozens of decisions, I and mean, we're not quite sure how complex this is going to get Uh, but Netflix are are keen on this idea Um, and they're willing to spend I believe six billion dollars on content uh, this year alone and so they've got a lot of money to put to invest within this perfecting this idea now this um, reminds me a lot of um, the interactive adventure books you used to be able to buy in the 80s, you know. Um, and, you you know, you read the book, you read the page, and you need to make a decision on where, for example, if argument's sake, Anna goes. Anna needs to make a decision. Does Anna go and follow a friend? Or does Anna do something else? If you think she follows a friend, turn to page 26. If the other scenario, page 51, I don't know. Um, so... It's an interesting concept. I'm not it's going to be fairly complex to get right. Um and it's going to be um um rather disjointed in terms of viewing. You see what would, if if it was possible to make it work successfully it would work in this manner. Um you basically um dictate the course of an entire series of shows. So rather than, than for example um you know You get to the end of an episode, and what does this character do next? And you select uh, and you watch that scenario. Does it have repercussions for the rest of the series? To what extent does this thing truly become interactive? Are you only seeing the repercussions in the next episode? Or does this change the course of the series in its entirety? And obviously the other characters that may be involved. So it seems like they're just toying with this idea at the moment and brainstorming how exactly this concept would work. Um, the one thing that they have confirmed is that they plan to test the technology, first of all, uh, in a show aimed at children. So it's going to be a show aimed at children with an established character. Um, and basically, depending on the success of that show, how well it, you know um, audiences receive that show, um, the um, technology will be used, or the concept will be introduced for adults. Um, now, what they haven't said is whether... They, their intention is to just introduce new original um, uh, programming, um, new original shows. Um, that are in uh, that will sort of feature this interactivity, or whether to integrate it within existing shows or existing um, series. So um, we should see. Um, it sounds interesting. Anything that challenges the um, the traditional conventions of TV is always interesting from my point of view. And this is certainly something they could quite easily do with their um, Netflix clients on various platforms. But like I said, for this truly to be a success. Um, the, um, the, the complexity of the interactivity has to be um, fairly deep-rooted. So it, it shouldn't just be a case of, well, what, you're making a decision on the next episode, but rather making a decision on the entire course of the series. Now, this isn't just a rumour. This is actually uh, fairly leg- legitimate. Um, it was confirmed by Netflix's CEO, uh, Reed Hastings, who actually announced this officially and confirmed it uh, within an interview with the uh, Daily Mail um, last week. Now, here at The Intersection, we love the concept of the Internet of Things. We love the idea of everything within our home being connected, talking to each other to improve our lives and to make our lives more convenient. We we, we actually embrace internet connectivity of our everyday, mundane even, devices. But quite troublingly, um, a report this week, uh, which comes off the back of WikiLeaks, um, who Basically, um, leaked um, a number of documents um, showing various surveillance techniques that the American CIA were using against individuals, or in some cases, its own citizens. Now, one of these techniques was a way in which to hack smart TVs, and smart TVs are in millions and millions of homes across the land, across the world, to spy on viewers. And it seems that Samsung smart TVs um, have been targeted in particular. And I'm not sure why it's easier for them to do this on Samsung TVs, but it seems Samsung got a special mention here. Now, this um, Sam, various Samsung smart TVs have uh, cameras and have microphones. Um, some allow you to speak commands into the television and some allow um, you to... Um, use um, services such as Skype that explains the camera now these TVs a smart TV is um, always connected to the internet um, if you choose to set it up in that way but chances are that if you've paid the extra for a smart TV you're going to use some of its services the very fact that you may want to enjoy a catch-up TV service such as iPlayer means that you have connected the thing to the internet And this is where the problem lies. Um, This project was disclosed as a weeping angel. And apparently this is named after the creatures from Doctor Who. Now, what this software, this hack would do is activate a fake-off mode on these Samsung TVs, fooling the viewers into thinking that the TV was switched off when they hit standby. But in actual fact, it wasn't really switched off. It was continuing to um, send information or rather record voices in the background and sending that um, audio to the uh, federal agencies in America. Um, And apparently, so the audio file that was being generated and and being sent will be collected by, um, be sent directly to CIA servers and and collected there for analysis. Now, Samsung are extremely concerned about this news and said that they are urgently investigating the claims. Um, We've not heard much else um, apart from that um wired.com uh, um have gone into a little bit more detail now they're saying that um the hack was probably um used to target specific individuals others claim that spying on its own citizens is is pretty much what the american government are all about um and again we don't know to what extent this um this may concern us here in the uk or anywhere else but we are obviously um Um, still vulnerable because we rely on the same technology but it why you'd claim that the hack can only be loaded onto a television uh via a usb firmware update um that apparently has been disabled so this update um has been disabled and they claim that unless you're a known operative it's unlikely the government have compromised your tv I don't think we know everything. We only know what's been leaked. There's probably a whole lot more information. So, no, we, we we can't be certain of that. But there is apparently a way of telling whether your effect your TV has been affected. And like I said, you know, the fake off mode gives the impression the TV is off, uh, and obviously the uh, LEDs on the front of the TV change colour, they dim, they give the impression that it's off or on standby. Um now to know if your TV is still listening apparently you need to look at the back of your TV set and there is a blue LED at the back and that should be off if the TV is legitimately switched off if it remains illuminated um then it seems that they are using this fake off mode um so in terms of TVs affected like i said um Samsung smart TVs were mentioned um, I will put a link in the show notes to the Wired article because they do go through a list of models that um, have the potential to be affected. But like I say, we, this is only a small extent, I believe, of what actually has been uh, going on. We only know what's been leaked. We certainly don't know everything. And I wouldn't be surprised if this extends beyond s- simple Samsung TVs. Now, it could be Sony TVs. could be anything, to be quite honest, any smart TV. Now, um, we... If you are incredibly paranoid um, and you just want to put, a, you know, prevent this from ever happening, um, the best way to do it is just to disconnect the TV from the internet. But like I say, you will lose some core services. You will definitely lose the ability to uh, stream your catch-up TV and, and all of that. So be absolutely sure if you do so. Now. In addition to smart TVs, Wikileaks also claimed that uh, the CIA have a number of hacking tools, a um, to, uh, number of exploits that they use to uh, get into uh, devices such as smartphones, particularly iPhones, were mentioned, and um, you know, Wiki, WikiLeaks. I think there's more than eight thousand documents uh, that were leaked, and obviously, I haven't gone through all of them. Um, I've just read the summaries. Um, but Apple actually have made a statement, and they said they have looked at these leaks, and most of the exploits uh, that are listed within these documents have already been patched up and fixed. However, They are going to work with um, tech companies and collectively those tech companies are going to work with WikiLeaks or rather, WikiLeaks is going to help those tech companies um, to uh, be aware of uh, what sort of exploits the uh, CIA have at their disposal and are developing to use. Against them now that 's actually quite interesting because you know collect- collective, um, um, collective sources forces um, working against the u s government it seems and, and, and it 's quite funny because you know companies uh, such as Apple and Google are American, and it is actually an interesting turn up that um, that they are seeing their own government here as the enemy. Um, so it, it 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 it's quite interesting now that uh WikiLeaks and these companies now have an alliance. um they now have mutual interest into um maintaining uh user privacy. And um while um, these documents that WikiLeaks um, have have made available um detail the the exploits uh that the CIA have been using and are developing, um there is no code. Um, behind what they're using. So what um, the, uh, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange has said last week is that he's going to share that code with uh, tech companies like Apple, so they can actually see exactly how these things are are, are being used and how their their operating systems and their devices are being compromised. And to quote Julian Assange, um, we have decided to work with tech companies to give them exclusive access to the additional technological details we have so that fixes can be developed and pushed out. So um, this is this is becoming a very interesting cat and mouse game. Um, and, it it it's just shocking but not surprising uh the extent that these agencies will go to to spy on citizens you know we can't i i don't buy the notion that oh this is to prevent terrorism or oh, we're spying on the bad guys no because it, it this is this has gone too far now and i i it, it is 1984 it really is 1984 and it's somewhat creepy it's somewhat scary and we have to I think we have to be aware of uh, the potential that agencies have um, to spy on us because we are connected. I mean, I'm just looking around this room now and the number of devices here that are connected to the Internet, the number of microphones and cameras and uh, collectively that these devices have. But we mustn't become paranoid. We mustn't be afraid of using technology. I think we just need to be a little bit more aware, a little bit more security conscious as well. You know, always make sure that we've updated the latest version of um, firmware for our devices um, because there will always be um, a way to get in. Hacks will always be available one way or another. Uh, we just got to stay on top of the issue and remain mindful of the issue. Now, as you know, particularly as we've mentioned it every single week. Um, Apple, later this year, are going to roll out a next-generation iPhone with a completely brand-new form factor and a number of uh, cutting-edge new features and technologies. Um, An edgeless uh, display, improved battery life, wireless charging, facial recognition as the rumor goes on and on and on and on. Every week there's a new rumor. Now, it seems that this new iPhone... Um, will be released alongside a traditional um, standard update to the iPhone 7. So we will have an iPhone 7S and the 7S Plus, but we're going to have a special edition iPhone to be released alongside it. Now, I'm not sure if this special edition iPhone will be a limited release, uh, but many say that it's going to celebrate 10 years of the iPhone. Now, Until then, we've been referring to this iPhone as either the next generation iPhone or the iPhone 8. And it seems that this is incorrect. According to a report from Mako Takara, Apple's um, 2017 iPhone, this next generation iPhone that we're talking about, is actually going to be called the iPhone edition now Apple have used that title before Um, if you remember the first generation Apple Watch um, you had the standard Apple Watch, the Apple Watch Sports and you had the Apple Watch Edition Um, now with that, that was a real gold Apple Watch which was incredibly expensive and um, you know you had to book a special appointment just to try one on, but that was the Apple Watch Edition the Apple Watch Edition now is the premium ceramic uh, white ceramic model, so it does seem that these Edition models are uh, made from premium materials and have a uh, slightly higher than your average price tag, and Apple's price tag is already high enough. So, this actually now makes sense. If there's going to be an iPhone edition that has a different form factor made of different materials, um, and is basically, uh, you know, considering the rumors of this thing costing £1,000 upwards, it makes perfect sense that it fits into this edition line. Now, the yeah, <laughs> What disappoints me is that this is really going to be the only iPhone worth buying this year. I, I, I People were already um, reluctant to pick up the iPhone 7 because it looked too much like the iPhone 6 series. And they're going to be even more reluctant to pick up a 7S if it look, look, has the same form factor from the past three years. So... People are going to want this iPhone edition. And my concern is whether this thing is actually going to be affordable or not. I'm concerned that Apple, just giving it this edition tag, is going to give them license to basically put an extortionate price tag on on what should be a legitimate um, uh, follow up to the iPhone 7. And so fingers crossed that this thing does remain affordable. Um, But there has actually um, been some further news on this model of iPhone and that um, there is going to be a delay. Now, this thing was um, supposed to uh, be released this fall, this autumn, I should say, um, alongside the iPhone 7S and 7S Plus. But it does seem that there's going to be a delay on this iPhone edition and it's actually going to launch a month or two after the 7S series Um, now the reason uh, for this delay um, is is simply because of this advanced 3D camera system that uh, will be used um, or possibly be used for facial recognition Um, it seems like um, more time is needed before they can produce enough camera modules um, and because they're obviously expecting demand to be extremely high so they are are saying that it's unlikely um, that those components will be ready for September. Um, And um, they're thinking that, um, you know, it may be more like sort of November, end of November, before um, that model of iPhone will be available due to the uh, scarcity of those components. So my advice to you is if you are looking out for a new iPhone this year, um, don't ball the hype train just yet. When the 7s and the 7s uh, Plus are announced, don't jump on board. Don't tie yourself to a two-year contract just to get your hands on that. Something better is coming. I would expect Apple. Well, I was curious actually, because um, when the iPhones get announced, new iPhones get announced normally uh, in September, about two weeks before the official launch. Um, Apple will, will, will say, you know, these iPhones are coming, they're available. Uh, you can put down pre-orders. Are they going to announce this super-duper edition model at the same time they announced the 7S and the 7S Plus? In which case, there is a risk that no one will want to buy the 7S and the 7S Plus. Or are they going to leave it and give us another surprise announcement a month or so later? Um Thinking about it just now, actually, yeah, I think they'll announce everything at once. And I think the real differentiator is going to be the price. And I am afraid to even think about it. I dread to imagine how much this iPhone edition is going to cost. But by all accounts, it sounds like it's the only iPhone worth upgrading to out of the selection, the choice we're going to get this year. let's discuss the nintendo switch as you know nintendo's brand new games console or hybrid games console the switch was released last friday and it has been an amazing success um you can't find a switch anywhere in the store i mean i gave you some tips last week but um stock seems to be continues to be completely limited um extremely limited and even the games or rather the only game worth buying right now which is the legend of zelda breath of the wild is hard to find in stock, you can find the Wii U version of it here, there, but you cannot find the Switch version. Now, apparently, stock is um, going to be replenished on the 31st of March, um, but there are switches out there, as I said last week, um, if you're interested. But I thought I'd give I'll take the opportunity to give you my first impressions. Um, I, I managed to get hold of a Neon switch. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, it's an incredibly impressive piece of technology. It's a night. Nice, it feels premium. It feels like it's solid. It was constructed very well. Um, the Joy-Con slide on and off the device with ease. Uh, everything Everything seems very nice. Um, there are some annoyances, unfortunately, um, the annoyances are that, um, in no particular order, um, there is no sense of online community with the switch. Um, when you connect to the internet and you do have access to Nintendo's eShop, it seems incredibly bare. Um, the virtual console isn't in place at all, so you can't pick up any classic titles, um the prices of current switch games uh, digitally are extortionate they really are um you are better off just buying a physical copy of the game but i understand that because zelda is hard to find at the moment for some reason um you may not have if you've picked up a switch and you want the legend of zelda you may not have a choice but to buy the digital download i urge you not to though um there's no sense of online community. So everything, all the progress that Nintendo made with the Wii U, establishing the Miiverse, uh, where you had your Miis, uh, they represented you as a games player, and you could communicate with people across the world and, and sort of uh, show off about your progress in a game and give tips and sketch little drawings and what have you. That's gone. And there's no alternative. There doesn't seem to be any community whatsoever. There is a little notice about... Um, online services coming soon a paid online service um and until i think they mentioned the end of the year uh, that service will be free but there's no community online um there doesn't seem to be a way to contact friends you can um make friend requests and and um respond to friend requests friend codes seem to be back and people didn't like friend codes from before because rather than searching for a username and finding someone in that manner you had to um, remember or note down a long alphanumeric string which represented the uh, the contact you wanted to add to your friends list and the problem from the past is that there were different friend codes for, for different users of each game so it became incredibly complicated but it appears now that friend codes are limited to the console itself or rather the user on the console itself so there's only one friend code to remember but it's still a complicated alphanumeric string, you still can't search by username but Nintendo do say that other ways to uh find your friends and to add friends will be introduced in due course so um it does feel a little unfinished um the online um the the online f- uh, functions of the switch it, it, it does feel unfinished and it in is very bare right now um other annoyances I have um are that um the creation of Miis. Now I had a Wii U before and we managed to sell that Wii U and there is no way to transfer the Miis that we created for myself, my kids, other family members from the Wii U to the Switch, you have to actually remake, recreate the weeds, uh, the Mies. um There is one way, if you have uh, an Amiibo, you can save your Mi onto an Amiibo and transfer it across this, that way. But we don't have any Amiibos, so we literally had to create everything from scratch. Um, the Switch uh, takes cartridges, doesn't take discs anymore, because it is also a portable uh, gaming systems, a handheld gaming system um and these cartridges are incredible. They are smaller than SD cards um they're just uh, probably one and a half times the size of a postage stamp and um there the cartridge slot is incredibly fiddly it's not something you just sort of you know it's sort of some spring spring action sort of push down the locks in place there there is a rather flimsy plastic flap that you kind of have to use your nail just to flick off. And I can see that thing getting broken in due, to, due course and then you stick your cartridge down. So that's not very elegant at all. Um, another mode I'm going to have is concerning the kickstand, um, at the back of the, uh, switch console so that you can play the thing in tabletop mode. Um, so you, you rest the screen on, on, on it stands up on the, on the table surface and you detach the joy cons and you, you play as if you've got a pullable, um, uh, TV with you. Um, that kickstand, again, falls out, comes off, detaches very easily. is extremely flimsy. I can see um, many of you guys breaking that thing. Um, they do sell replacements. Um, they're hard to come by, but they do sell them. Um, but again, you know, I, I would have thought the quality would have been better. Um, there is a general problem with Wi-Fi on this console. Um, I have found both on my Switch and on my brother's Switch... That um, when you it does scan for you for networks when you first set up your internet connection and it finds networks but it always fails to connect the first time um, it it grumbles and it just doesn't work um, uh, and I try switching the thing off and it just doesn't work eventually it works if you keep on forcing the issue. Um, I find also you need to be careful when you enter entering your network password, because if you get it incorrect, the switches doesn't tell you you've got it incorrect. It gives the impression that you have connected, but then you find out that you have no connection. So, um, that's another issue. Um, the size of the, the guard, so the cartridges are tiny, right? And they actually have put a bittering agent on the cartridges because they uh, are afraid of little kids, small children uh, putting these things in their mouth. That's that small. So um, as weird as it sounds, just put the tip of your tongue on the switch cartridges. Uh, if you have the opportunity, it's vile. So that, that, I mean, good, good that Nintendo did that. Um, but um, the size of the game cases are absolutely ridiculous. They do not need to be that big, considering the small size of the cartridge. Um, I understand that these games are expensive and you want to create a uh, consumer p- uh, perception that you've received something for your money. Um, but I just think it's a ridiculous waste of material. And there are no game manuals inside. It doesn't need to be that big um there is no notification led on the switch dock now on the wii you had that glowing beautiful blue glowing light when you had messages notifications coming through on the wii u you also had a flashing light and you you obviously had the gamepad screen itself there is no notification light on the switch i haven't noticed one Um, that's a real shame, particularly when the online service kicks off and you've got requests, friend requests and and, and other notifications awaiting you. The only way you would find out that you have those waiting for you is to actually um, log in to your switch on your switch and log into your user profile. Um, there are some very good parental controls on the Switch, and that was important for me because sometimes my children get a bit carried away. They are limited to the console and not to the user. That for example, I have three uh, profiles on my Switch: two children and myself. Um, I can, from the from the parental controls app, uh, determine when uh, what hours during the day the Switch. Uh, can be played and the total number of hours per day the switch can be played so let's say we're setting a four hour limit um it would be a four hour limit between all the users not per user so that's a little bit of an issue because you can still get fights between children you know he used up all the time etc etc um what you can do is you by default you get uh, the child Uh, gets a warning on the screen when time is up it's like a little um a notification and alert with a little alarm saying time is up it does tell you when uh that time is coming close so 10 minutes to go five minutes to go gives you the opportunity to save the game um but it doesn't actually stop the child from playing on there is a separate option to actually uh suspend the software if they've exceeded the time so it basically uh sends the software into sleep mode and the only way to override that is if you use the parental pin code and the app does provide you with that pin code so generally you know there is a little bit of room for improvement but i am quite happy with the parental controls um other problems with the switch um there has been uh, numerous reports of the screen scratching when you place the device within the dock um, due to the friction. There's not much room uh, in the slot um, uh, of the dock for the um, between the console and each end of the dock, I should say. And so you are very likely going to scratch that screen. That screen is actually made of plastic. It scratches incredibly easy. Um, I am shocked and somewhat appalled that Nintendo um for all their wisdom um and the fact that they have the cheek to charge 280 quid for this console couldn't use um, a more robust material such as Gorilla glass on the screen um you need to protect that screen now unfortunately that resulted in me spending more money however there is a nintendo switch case as an official case um which is great if you want to carry the thing around and use it as a, um, a portable gaming system Um, But that case also comes with a stand so that the switch can stand up in tabletop mode within the case itself. And it also comes with a plastic screen protector. Now, that case is £15, I believe. They sell it in Argos. They sell it in Tesco. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes for anyone who's interested. Um, It's a pain in the butt to spend even more money on an already expensive system and already expensive games. But you've got to protect that screen. It really will scratch. Um, It it will. Um, Another thing to be um, um, careful of is the use of adhesive on the Joy-Cons, there are many companies selling skins for these Joy-Cons. You can switch up the design, change the colour, put a, some sort of silicone skin on the Joy-Cons themselves. The Joy-Cons, do, whatever they use on the surface of the Joy-Cons, they do not play nice with adhesive. So if you put a skin on, it will actually strip the logos and everything um, from the console and the Joy-Cons themselves. So what you want to do is to avoid any adhesive whatsoever. Now, um, The Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild, it, believe the hype, it's a brilliant game. Um, I'm a big Zelda fan. Um, I've been playing a series from the very first one on the NES, and this game is beautiful. Now, I haven't gotten as far as a lot of other people simply because of time. I wish I had the time that I had when I was 11 years old to play video games, but I try to sneak in an hour or two every evening when, when, when you know, all the work is done. And I am so impressed with this open world game. You can explore anywhere. You can, you, you know, you're not, your hand isn't held. It's not a linear game. You, you're you encouraged to explore and do things in your own time, in your own order. If you wander off and do side quests, you go ahead and wander off and do side quests. You can climb up mountains. You can um, go down to caverns. You can do absolutely anything. And it does feel like you're in a true expansive 3d world it really does and the game looks absolutely beautiful um you can tell that this game was made with love um and it 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 is by, by all accounts being considered a masterpiece and it has received perfect scores and obviously it's hard to find this game so people are obviously buying it now this game as you know was originally developed for the wii u And the Wii U did not do well commercially. So this game was delayed and delayed and delayed. And Nintendo decided that, you know what, for all of the effort that went into this game, it's better that it's given a fresh start and becomes a launch title for the next console, which was the Switch. Now, the Wii U version is still available. But um, there are the features that were exclusive to the Wii U have been removed from the Wii U version of the game. Um, There are traces of those features, You notice there's traces in both uh, versions of the game. For example, the Sheikah Slate, it's a tablet-like device that Link has that gives him pointers and direction and maps and things like that. And all of this, um, you know, referring to hold up the Sheikah Slate, well, you just press a button and Link does it himself. Obviously, you were supposed to hold up the Wii U gamepad. Obviously, the map was supposed to be visible on the Wii U gamepad. Obviously, going through inventory and things like that, which is a slight pain in the butt in the game, um, using going through the various uh, levels of menus, was supposed to be done uh, much more easily on the Wii U gamepad. So it's a little sad. It's a little sad that the Wii U didn't get its killer title exclusive to itself uh, towards the end of its life. But, you know, that's just the way things go. Um in terms of the games, Elder itself, um, the one thing that probably annoys me is, is that there was a little bit of a change of direction in the series. Um, it, you have to be uh, very aware of stamina. So Link uh, in this uh, iteration of Zelda can jump and can run, and you have um, a limited sort of stamina gauge, so Link will become exhausted after a while of running and climbing, so you have to be very careful. And where in the older Zelda games you could get a heart piece to increase your, your, you know, your the capacity of your potential energy, you now can choose between increased stamina or an additional heart piece when you're awarded at the end of a dungeon or the end of a shrine. Now, you um, also, weapons. Now, I'm not too far into the game, but the way uh, that the game deals with weapons is different to the other games in the series, in the sense that weapons are now temporary. Where before you would do a dungeon, you'd get a bow and arrow, and that's your bow and arrow. Uh, you'd get a staff, you'd get a sword, and that is yours to use permanently. Weapons uh, basically degrade the more often you use them, and weapons do not last too long. There will be a point where your weapon, you could pick up a sword from the very beginning, for example, a bow and arrow from the very beginning. If you defeat an enemy, you can pick up its weapon, but it will only last so long. And, um, to the point where you've used the weapon, you can't use it any longer, and then you've lost the weapon. So I find my inventory at the uh, most of times very, uh, sort of bare bones. Um, this probably will change as you go on later in the game, particularly as you get the Master Sword, um, but it's a little bit strange to get used to, to be honest. I'm always used to having my weapons always there, but it's a little little bit strange to get used to. So I do find myself in certain scenarios relying on whatever weapon I might have, which is, you know, as ridiculous as a, as a stick or a club or a tree branch. Um, but that's not a bad thing. You know, it brings a bit of realism to the series. Um, but, you know, if you are a traditional Zelda fan, um, you, you will be sort of taken aback by some of these, um, these uh, different approaches um so i haven't put that much time into the game i want to have a bit of a play this weekend. I look forward to spending some time with it. I long for the days when I was able to play hours and hours of video games. I had no responsibilities, but such is life. I've actually come out of video game retirement specifically for this title. Um, all in all, I am impressed with the Switch. I do believe it's too expensive. I do believe there are some quality control issues. There are, there's no excuse for those issues if the thing costs so much um my concern is while zelda is impressive there doesn't seem to be much else on the horizon um i believe mario kart is being released next month but as i've said before it's mario kart 8 that was released on the wii u but this version is a deluxe version that includes all of the wii u downloadable content and not much else so i'm hoping nintendo can deliver some big titles um It is almost like a last chance for them. They can't really have another um, uh, commercial disaster. Um, I think I consider Nintendo synonymous with video gaming, and I want them to remain in the industry. I do not want them to suffer the fate of Sega and go third party, so I want this system to do well. I just wish it was a little bit cheaper so more people could get their hands on it or be tempted to get their hands on it, because as it stands, the Wii U... Um, not the Wii U, (laughs) the Switch rather, is more expensive than the PS4 Slim and uh, the Xbox One. Um, But anyway, let's see how it goes. I'm going to continue to enjoy Zelda. And if you guys, if you picked up a Switch, let me know what you think. Let me know what your impressions are. Are you impressed? Have Nintendo, um, have, have have they knocked one out of the park? Have they done really well? Or are you concerned? Do let me know in the comments. So that's about all the time we have for for this episode of The Intersection. Thank you so much for joining me again. Um, If you don't already follow us, um, please subscribe to us. Um, You can find instructions on how to do that on our website, which is intersectioncast.com. We are also listed on all major podcast directories, including iTunes. You can follow us on the social networks, uh, facebook.com slash intersectioncast, or our Twitter account, which is at Let's Intersect. If you want to leave us feedback or comments or anything, um, you can do so. You can email us or reach our Skype account, uh, leave us a Skype voicemail. The account and the email address are the same, which is feedback at intersectioncast.com. Once again, thank you for listening so much. And we'll be back for you next week with more news from the world of tech and the world of pop culture. And until then, have a great weekend. Have a great week. That's a wrap. the intersection.